verses 11 through 19. This is the word of the Lord. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For that when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belonged to another tribe, from one from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. On the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Have you ever had something that you simply had to learn to live with? I remember my mom, I remember vividly actually, the first time this happened, we were sitting around our table in the old house in Biloxi, they live in a different house now. We were eating beef stroganoff, I even remember the dish, and my mom started choking on the piece of the beef. And it was scary. I was probably eight or nine, and it was like the first time I'd really seen someone choke. Uh, eventually, Dad did the Heimlich, got it up. Uh, but that was the beginning of a, a time for my mom where she just couldn't swallow things, particularly meat, if it wasn't chewed well. And this went on for years and years and years. And eventually, she went and saw someone, and they said, well, you know, you really have this. Her esophagus was closing. And they said, well, there's a basic procedure we can do here. We can open it up, widen it up. And I remember my mom eating after that procedure. She said, I didn't realize how bad things were until that first swallow afterwards. I didn't realize how little space I had to swallow. She had learned to live with it. It was just part of life. Uh, this, this problem in her throat is just something she learned to deal with. And, and I think we all can identify with this. There's things that maybe aren't working at their best. Uh, you have an air conditioner in your house, and it's not, it's on, it's 15, 20 years old, and it's pushing air, and it's cool in the house, but it's just running and running and running. You finally get that new AC in, and you realize, oh, the AC can shut off. It doesn't have to run all day. But you, you learn to live with it, right? It's amazing what we can learn to live with, not knowing that there's something better out there. There's a better option. There's a better choice. And the writer of Hebrews has been contrasting for us the old covenant with the new covenant, particularly through the priesthood. And we're not going to rehash everything we saw last week, but again, you'll see several times here, Melchizedek referenced. 
Melchizedek, this representative of something better and different than the old priesthood. When Christ comes along, he brings something better. The the hearers of this letter, those who, who received it, were in danger of going from something that was better to something that they used to do, their former way of life. But Christ has brought a new administration of his covenant. This new uh, era has begun where we relate to God in a different way. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The new has come. And to fall from Christ back to Judaism, as as the writer is saying here, is to go from the new going back to what is old. It, It would be as if my mom came out and said, oh, that's so much easier to swallow, but I would like for you to reverse the procedure. And you, you, as a doctor, you'd probably, as anybody would look at her and go, why? Why would you do that? Oh, this, this air conditioner really cools so much better, but could you just put the old unit back in? Why? Why would you do that? You wouldn't do that. Christ came and was something better. He fulfilled all that the old covenant couldn't do the new covenant comes and replaces the old covenant priesthood with that coming Christ brings a new law he offers a better hope and so that's what we're going to see here three things today a new law a new hope and a new covenant a new law a new hope and a new covenant and for any Star Wars nerds out there I would I just itched at using a new hope that's the name of the first star wars movie most people don't know that it's called star wars a new hope just threw that out there new hope and a new covenant let's begin by looking at a new law Uh, the writer of hebrews now argues that since christ is a new kind of priest since he now has brought this new uh, covenantal administration and and note it's not that It's a different covenant. It's that the covenant was fulfilled in Christ. And and so for that reason, it's called new. It's not plan B, which we'll see in a second. But he comes and brings this new covenant. And and because of this, he says in verse 11, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek. So last week he took all this time saying, this is what Melchizedek is. And now he says, why would we need Melchizedek if Aaron was enough? Why would we need Melchizedek if the Levites were enough? And the reality is, what he's he's arguing is, that it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. Aaron and the Levites could not bring perfection to the law. And by perfection, when we see this word perfection in in the New Testament, it really is completion. They could not bring completion to the law. They could not bring salvation in a completed way. They could not present anyone as acceptable to God. They simply couldn't do it. 
In fact, everything that the Old Testament priests did was meant to point us forward to the completion. That's why it was so repetitious. Every day. And we've talked about this before, but you you think about, I think sometimes we don't think about the temple and what it was really like. The temple was a slaughterhouse. It was a slaughterhouse. The continually butchering of animals and and sacrificing of animals. You can imagine a, a priest was continually covered in blood. Not like, you know, drenched from head to toe, but there was, you, you ever, have you ever actually been to an actual butcher shop where they're actually doing butchering? And you, they, you think of the butcher with the white smock on, and what do you usually see on that white smock? Blood. And that's from butchering already dead animals, oftentimes. This is taking live animals and butchering them. It, it was not a pleasant sight to behold. I imagine as you walked into the temple, you had been confronted with all the stinks and smells that come from that kind of thing. It wasn't pleasant. It was continual. But they were supposed they were supposed to point us forward to something. And, and the argument that the writer here makes and of Hebrews makes is Jesus is not part of Levi. He's not part of Aaron. If you know anything about the Old Testament, you know about the tribes of Israel, right? I should make Virginia sing the 12th tribe song. I don't know it. She knows. I think our mother created it. So, um, There's 12 tribes, and each tribe had its allotment. Uh, Levi did not have its allotment of land. Levi was said, you, Levi, from the priests are going to come to you. You're not going to own any land. Everybody's going to give a tenth to you, and you're going to be in charge of the sacrifices. That was Levi's position And why? Well, because that's how God set it up. That's how God, through Moses, presented the law. Levi was in charge. The house of Levi was in charge of temple sacrifices. And the point is this. We've considered Melchizedek. Why would we need something different if the Levitical priesthood works? If the Levitical priesthood is enough, why do we need something more? And again, he points us to Psalm 110 in verse 17. We get down there, uh, jumping down a little bit. It says, for it is witnessed of him. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now remember, this is not talking about Melchizedek. And it's not talking about David. Because we know, was David a priest? No. This is God through David writing about someone who was to come. There is someone coming who is going to be different from what is here. God promised a new kind of priest that would come. And with the coming of that priest, with the coming of Jesus, as he says in verse 12, with the, for when there's a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. You, you ever hear someone ask, like, oftentimes people will go to the Old Testament and say, well, you Christians, why don't you do all these things? And our response is, when we got a new priest, we got a new law. Not that the moral law goes away, but the ceremonial law does go away. When we got a new priest, which is Jesus, we got a new law. And we know that his his moral law never changes, Matthew 5, 17. Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. 
He comes and he fulfills them. Even the Old Testament sacrificial system, it's not that he said, no, that was bad. I've done away with it. That's not what he did. He says, yes, this is pointing to something, something you can't do, and I'm going to finish it. He finishes it. He completes it. Everything that these sacrifices pointed you to, the thing that, that, that we had to keep doing over and over and over again that never stopped, I'm stopping them because I am the perfect sacrifice. This is a new administration of salvation. When we, we talk about new administration, oftentimes we think about this in the change of presidents, right? A president comes in and it's a new administration and it's a changing of staff, it's a changing of policy, it's all this kind of thing. And in a similar but not exact way, when Christ comes, it's the same thing. It's a, it's a changing. It's moving from the old to the new, from what was to what is. There's a new law in Christ. It was the, the law that was, the, it was everything that the law was pointing to. Again, not plan B. Always his plan. The old covenant was always making way for the new covenant. Always. You are, if you're ever in doubt of that, just go study the Old Testament. It's all over the Old Testament. It's all over pointing us to Jesus. It's one of the reasons why when I hear people say, we don't need the Old Testament anymore, I go, no. No, we are, everything that we are is, is our foundation is in the Old Testament. We can only understand Christ because of the Old Testament. We can't understand Christ without the Old Testament. To get rid of that is to, to it's, I mean, cut off your torso. Get rid of something that you need. Why would you do that? Cut off your foundation. It is preparatory in nature. But now we have the full picture. We see the finished work of Christ. What we only see in shadows in the old covenant, we see in fullness in the new covenant. Everything he said he will do, he has done. So when he says, hey, you know, he who began a good work in you will see it to completion, you go, I know he will. Do you know why I know he will? Because everything that he started, he has finished. And if he has started something in me, then he will finish it in me and well, as well. It's not just empty words. Because we have a new hope. And it has to do with the priest himself with the authority that Jesus holds as priest. And it has an impact across the board on, on the whole nature of Jesus' ministry. Remember that the office of priesthood on the Old Testament was really a great honor. I think there was an honor being bestowed upon Levi and his descendants. When you think about Aaron, who was Aaron to Moses? He was the right-hand man of Moses, Right? It was Moses and Aaron. And then you, and you go forward and like, you think about from the Levitical priesthood, you even had, it was, you got the high priest. And then who was the high priest? That one person once a year who he actually got to be in the presence of God. And, and you think about that is an honor. But at the end of the day, we have to be reminded of the fact what made them special was nothing in themselves. It was simply because the law told them this is how it's going to be. So we go through the 12 sons and you go, well, why not Benjamin? Why not Nephtali? Yeah, that was a name. Why not Reuben? Because God said, Levi. It had nothing because Benjamin or Judah or Levi, it just because God said so. 
And so if you went to the Old Testament priest and you said, um, son of Levi, how do I draw near to God? What would he have said to you? He would have pointed you to ritual. He would have pointed you to law. He would have pointed you to sacrifice and say, this is the way you are made right before God. That's the old priesthood. But if we go to Jesus and we say, Jesus, my priest of the new covenant, how do I draw near to God? He says, you draw near to me because my blood has fulfilled the law. I have brought you new life. It's the difference between that which is external and that which is internal. Because when the old covenant priesthood, when they pointed you, they pointed you to everything that was external. You need to make sure you're clean. Be it through sacrifice or through washings. You need to make sure you're clean. And then Jesus comes and says, you need to make sure you're clean. And I'm going to do this now in a different way. That the law is not going to be external. The law is going to be internal. John 10, or John 7, 37 through 38. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus offers us new life. He gives us this new transformative power through his blood. Uh, Again, John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus comes and he brings life. So the, the, the Old Testament picture of continual death has ended. And we have to see that that's... I think it's hard for us to see because we don't think of the Old Testament temple for what it really is. It's very ethereal, right? It's very uh, theoretical. Maybe that's a better word for it. Because we, we, we can't experience that, that the stink, the smells, the, the slaughter. And Jesus comes in and puts an end to it. And he brings something better. Andrew Murray says this. When God speaks to his son, thou art a priest forever... It only means that the priesthood will never cease. Excuse me. It not only means that the priesthood will never cease, but it points to what is the root and cause of it. Its root, its roots in the life, it roots in the life and the strength of God. Uh, The priesthood that comes through Jesus comes through God. Jesus manifested his power through his death on the cross when he died for our sins, when he went into the grave, when he rose again from the dead and ascended up to God's right hand, he accomplished this for us. He fulfilled the intent of the old covenant priesthood. That day of atonement came in Jesus and was fulfilled. It is this wonder. The writer of Hebrews is really painting us this wonderful picture. Why? Would you go from this to that? Why would you return? Jesus 
through his power, his eternal power, has given you life by the Holy Spirit. He has changed you. He is drawing you near to God. This is what you have to hope in. And you are concerned for your comfort. You're concerned for persecution. And you're going, I know what I have in Jesus, but this is easier. This is easier. It's easier for now. The reality is that that as you look back on the Old Testament priesthood, the Old Covenant priesthood, there should be this feeling of utter hopelessness. As you look back and if you say, if there's no Jesus, then there's a hopelessness to the Old Covenant priesthood. Because their hope was always in something better. And if you take Jesus out, then there's no hope. It's never ending. Continual slaughter. And Jesus comes and says, I have made an end to this. I have a new hope that I am giving you that springs eternal. That he has perfected in us all that is required for salvation. And so we have a new covenant. One not based in Aaron and the Levites, but the one that is based in Jesus Christ. Uh, this has been the argument of the writer of Hebrews from the very beginning. And we've, we've gone through this, right? Jesus is better. And he's gone through the list. He is better than angels. He is better than Moses. He is better than Joshua. And now he says he's better than Aaron and his priesthood. All the Levitical priesthood. Abraham, we saw last week, was brought before Melchizedek, both paid the tithe to Melchizedek and was blessed by Melchizedek. And in doing so, Abraham, with Levi in his lineage down the road, in his loins, said, this one is better than what comes from me. This one is better. This is what he tells us in verses 18 and 19. On the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And he's saying here, the old covenant priesthood, the Old Testament priesthood is useless. It has been made null and void because that which is better has come. The new covenant is better. Not that the old covenant was wrong. It was necessary and good. It served its purpose. But its purpose is gone because it was incomplete. And we can draw a similar application for us today. It's not that doing righteous things are wrong. It's that we do not do righteous things to earn our salvation. Righteousness or right things in themselves have no power to change our hearts. We need something more. One of the great Old Testament passages that talks about this is Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31, starting in verses 31 and 32, says this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, 
declares the Lord. A new covenant is coming. Those who came out, they've broken covenant with me. And he uses, again, the imagery here of marriage. I was their husband, and they were unfaithful. But the difference is not in the grace of God. The old covenant was still a covenant of grace. So what is it? It's something different. He goes on in verse 33. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And this is the same. He uses the same language in ending. I will be their God and they will be my people. This is what he's been telling Israel throughout all of from Moses. You, I will be your God and I will, you will be my people. The difference here is that my law will now be written on their hearts. It won't be written on tablets. It won't be written on scrolls. It'll be written on their hearts. And this is done through the inward working of the Holy Spirit. Christ's ministry through the Spirit offers for us something better. Something better. A better hope. Something that's not external. Something that's internal. It brings regeneration. It makes our hearts new. It gives us this eager desire to do God's will. Understanding that we now have this inward glory being transformed as we're being transformed in, into God's likeness. Second Corinthians 3. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, behold the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. We must be drawing near to God because the spirit is in us. We come with unveiled faces. This is a reference to Moses and the veiling of his face because the glory of God could not be behold, beheld, excuse me. We come with unveiled faces into the presence of God because we are being transformed. Christ is now a living priest. He offers us life. He helps us to press on his faith. What he has done has been finished and accomplished. Next week we're going to celebrate, we're going to, be, we're going to do communion. And we talk about this is a remembrance of Jesus' death on the cross and his blood poured out. And this is actually one of those things where we differ with some of our Roman Catholic brothers. Because in their communion, there's this, this the wine becomes the blood. The bread becomes the body. It is this continually breaking and bleeding of Jesus. And the reason we disagree in this is because of this very reason. Jesus' sacrifice is done. It is not continual. One of the reasons you'll go into most Presbyterian, you won't see a Jesus hanging on the cross in Presbyterian church because Jesus is no longer on the cross. It's finished. It's done. He has done what he said he was going to do. So it's no longer about sacrificing again and again and again. Christ has transformed us. It's not a matter of outward performance. 
As I was sitting at General Assembly last week and sitting with a few friends, we got to talking about the Good Samaritan. When I say a few friends, I mean a good few pastor friends. So that's why we were sitting around talking about the Good Samaritan. I'm I'm sure oftentimes you don't sit around and talk with your friends about the Good Samaritan. I don't know. Maybe you do. We were talking about how we apply this text. And oftentimes you hear the Good Samaritan preached and you hear something like this. Uh, and And you know the story of the Good Samaritan, that you have these... Man, this Jewish man who was robbed and beaten and left naked on the side of the road. And uh, you have these men who are Jewish leaders who pass him by. And then you have the Samaritan man who comes by and he picks him up, he cleans him off, he provides and he cares for him. And oftentimes we end up with the application, go and love your neighbor like the good Samaritan loved his neighbor. That's not the point of the good Samaritan. It's not the point of the story, the parable of the Good Samaritan. The point of the parable of the Good Samaritan is you can't love your neighbor. You can't transform these social and ethnic barriers. You can't do it. You need someone else who can. We can only love our neighbor through Jesus. Jesus is the one who comes and breaks down all barriers. So that Paul can say in Ephesians, there is now no slave or free. There is no man or woman. There is only those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the one who does that. And so we understand who we are in Christ. And then we say, now go and love your neighbor. Not because you have the ability to love your neighbor, but because Christ loved you. And he has working that in you and gives you the ability to love your neighbor. If we miss that point, that it's not about what we do, it's about what Christ has done in us, then we're missing it. Only in the spirit are we able to fulfill the righteousness represented in the law. And if we do it by any other way, then we're just returning to that old priesthood. If we come to Jesus and say, let me do for you, then we've missed it. We cannot do for Jesus We accept what he has done for us, and then we faithfully go and obey him. We must obey, but it's not what makes us right. And so the question becomes this. Do you live in fellowship with God? Are you Jesus' own? Are you called sons and daughters of the God? Have you been adopted into his family? Then you must, you must have fellowship And if you don't have fellowship with him, what does that say of your faith? We cannot have genuine faith without genuine fellowship with God. Our life in Christ is life in his spirit. Obeying and drawing near to God in spirit and in truth. Not because of who we are, but because of the priesthood that Christ brings to us. And anything that we place our hope in that is not God is false. We went through this very lengthy and maybe somewhat boring, I will freely admit, rendition or or recitation of what the second commandment forbids. And, And I may even look at this and mince with some of its words. But the point is this, do not erect anything in your hearts and worship that thing that is not God and God alone, that is strictly forbidden, whether it's invented on your own, whether you receive it from someone else, if you 
put it up in your hearts, if you place it in a place of worship, then you are missing what Christ has done for you. You are missing what Christ did on the cross. You must focus your eyes on him in faith because he is the one who has finished the work. He comes as the perfect priest. The priest who sacrifices once and is done, who sits down, who takes his rest, metaphorically speaking, at the right hand of God the Father, knowing that he is there, not actually taking his ease. He is there right now. Our God, our Savior in heaven is right now at God's right hand, making active intercession for you and me. That's wonderful. That's where Jesus is if we're in him. So why? Why would we abandon that? That's the call here. You have this new law, this new hope, this new covenant. The old has been perfected. Christ has done it. He has given you this hope. He has finished it. It doesn't have to be daily repeated. He's reigning on high and he has done this. Why would you seek something different? Why would you seek something different when Christ has already reconciled you to God? He is already making intercession for you. He is making daily petitions for you. He looks at you and says, Mark Aiken is mine. You have given him to me. He is mine. He looks at you and says, he's before God saying, Linda Matthews is mine. He's making intercession for you. If you are in Christ, you are his. You are his and he's there. And it's this wonderful, beautiful thing. Why would we go, okay, that's all well and good, but now let me earn it. Let me go back to making sacrifice. Let me go back to laboring. We can't do it. It's empty. He says, I've given you a priest, a new priest, not like the old, but like Melchizedek, who is priest and king, who's only fulfilled in Christ, as we saw last week, without beginning, without end. Brothers and sisters in Christ, let us not turn. Let us not turn away from the old and go back to the, turn away from the new and go back to the old. And if you don't know Jesus, If you're sitting here today and you don't know Jesus, if you're not sure where you stand before him, if you are living your life haphazardly going, and maybe you're dabbling, you have your toes in the water and you're playing with Christianity, stop. Stop playing. Lay hold of him. Lay hold of him who has made sacrifice for you so that you no longer have to keep going and, and working and, and trying to earn, knowing that it's never sufficient no matter what you do. You'll never get yourself there. Lay hold of Jesus. Lay hold of Jesus. Don't be stubborn. Hear his call. As the, the writer of Hebrews continually tells us, today, as long as it's called today, turn to him, rest in him, trust in him. And then go forth and love your neighbor. Love God and love your neighbor, not because you're earning it, but because it's out of a response of obedience. Let him melt that heart of stone. Let him bring you life.
I don't care how old or how young you are, it is never, it is always the right time, I should say, to turn to God in faith. It is always the right time. If you're not sure about this, don't leave the door until you are. Don't leave these, this walls until you are. Come and talk. Let's, I'll sit here all day with you. I don't care. Let's talk about it. If you're not sure, let's talk about it. But don't go to what's empty and hopeless. Have hope in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for Jesus and what he has done, what he has accomplished, what he has finished for us on the cross. Lord, would we rest firm and secure in what he has done, knowing that he is right now making intercession for those who call upon his name. Lord, break us, shape us, mold us after his image we ask and pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Let us stand.